What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, down in the dump ends. The Canadians drop game one against the Lightning. Why we've been here before. What I saw in game one. How we bet this now. Who had their consummate odds changed. And why where the game is located matters in this series. Then it's a look at the NBA. While I have no bet on the side tonight, I'm cannot going to be standing pat. Finally, a wild day at Euro 2020 on Tuesday has its pros and cons, but was worth every penny. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. No cool in the gang today, not because they sent me a cease and desist letter after yesterday, but I'm glad that we got our celebrating out of the way because the Habs fall in game one. Montreal Canadiens lose five to one to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And isn't that somewhat familiar? Yeah, four one was the score when they lost to the Vegas Golden Knights in game one of that series. So they lose game one. Um, fundamentals here, 1.81 expected goals, four at even strength for Tampa Bay to 1.59 for Montreal. Why is that important? As always, right, that means the game probably closer to a two to one even strength type of game. And when you factor in the power plays and what did or did not happen, you know, then you get yourself closer to a final score. And so Tampa Bay ends up getting a power play goal on one of three chances. But, you know, that's at the end of the game, right? Things are getting a little bit looser. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But 8-7 to seven were the high danger chances at even strength. So not a disaster necessarily at all for Montreal, though a lot of it had to do with game script. And so you had Tampa Bay kind of building this high danger chance lead, if you will, through the first two periods, and then Montreal pressing in the third period to try to get back in the game. Obviously, an early goal in the third put it to 3-1. to one. And so Tampa Bay converts one out of their eight high-danger chances. Montreal converts zero out of their seven. Obviously, if both teams had converted, you know, one out of seven, one out of eight, we would have had ourselves a closer game. And Kucherov had that one goal in the slot, and that was his, uh, that was the conversion of the high danger chance. And so all of these goals last night, really weird type of a game, right, where all of the best scoring chances didn't result in a goal, right? Tyler Johnson, for example, had a couple of chances in close. You had Shea Weber on a breakaway. Even Gallagher had a breakaway that he did more with than you would have thought based on, you know, the puck bouncing and a guy draped all over his back that somehow wasn't a penalty, but I digress. Um, But all these goals last night, you know, essentially were off of someone. And so from a takeaway standpoint from yesterday's game, like evaluating, you know, how that went and, and going forward, To be honest with you, I didn't really hate it for Montreal, right? And the game script being what the game script was, you know, we talked two to one through two periods is a pretty reasonable result through two periods. Somebody's got to be up two to one. Well, I guess that's not necessarily true. Um, But, you know, if either team was up two to one, you wouldn't necessarily count them out. Now, in the third period, things get out of hand. There is, like I said, off the face off. And that's been an issue for Montreal all playoffs long. If you'd said, hey, what's the one thing that Montreal does really poorly? It's defensive zone face-offs and defensive zone coverage. They had a goal that was scored uh, by Pacioretty, I believe it was, that was basically identical to the one that Kucherov scored. And so, like, that's not a... 
that's not an accident. And if you look through this game, right, a lot of these goals were kind of by accident. Let's talk about the first goal, right? Chernak. And if you put together a list, and I saw this actually, I saw this market, first goal score of the series market. And obviously you have your favorites, right? You have your point. Caulfield's up there for Montreal, et cetera, et cetera. And there's 36 skaters on the ice. I think I would have Chernak 34th out of 36 to get the first goal. I don't know where his odds were. I don't even want to know what, what his odds were for first goal of the series. But he, not just, you know, point shot that sneaks through or something crazy like that. He has this deft touch deflection on the rush. And a lot of cases we go, okay, guy's just making a deflection here and he's hoping for the best. But that was one where it was like, he really did kind of have it angled perfectly for at least, if not the top corner, but at least the top, you know, third or the or the top quarter of the uh, of the net, and so that beats Price just barely, by the way. Um, but again, it's Chernak. You're not expecting him to be the guy to score, let alone the first goal of the game. And so when it comes to Montreal and like the things that you're afraid of when facing Tampa Bay. What are you afraid of, right? You're afraid of the power play. Well, Montreal stayed out of the box until things got scrappy at the end of the game and Gallagher's bleeding all over himself and there's just complete chaos where they took two penalties and actually went down five on three. Game was already over at four to one at that point. So who cares? But, you know, in the main course of play, right, like the primary time for the game script to occur, they only took one penalty. And that one was a little bit, shaky at best right with the cross check on the shoulder we're calling shoulder cross checks now you know if you'll recall vegas could cross check a montreal player into the glass from behind and it wouldn't get called but montreal is getting called for cross checks to the shoulder again i digress um so they stay out of the box and that's one of the you know sort of main things and you know we're also afraid of who we're afraid of kucherov we're afraid of point we're afraid of stamkos but you know Tampa bay builds that lead two to one on chernak and Yanni Gord scoring a goal, right? And when we're talking about pucks bouncing off of people, that's what we had. We had two lucky bounces. Basically, after that first goal, which was Chernax, which, you know, I don't want to call it lucky because it was a sweet goal, but, you know, it's lucky that you're getting a, what was probably a 25 to one shot to, to score the first goal. But after that first goal, right, you get two lucky bounces for Tampa Bay. The first lucky bounce happens on the rush for the puck to go to, I believe it was, Coleman, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be mistaken. He takes the shot and it goes off Yanni Gord and it works itself around Carey Price, right? So even the shot on an unexpected deflection uh, into the slot is still a play that Price, I think, had a beat on. And then it deflects off of a shin pad in front. And we always joke about like hockey, like we're doing the best we can here to predict stuff. But at the end of the day, like pucks are going to hit shin pads what was a shin pad festival out there yesterday so gord gets credit for that goal and i mean all you need to know about some of these goals were the uh broadcast couldn't figure out who actually scored them half the time not not just half the time more than half the time so they go up to nothing and then you know no complaints obviously because montreal gets a fortunate one right back a double deflection off of tampa bay and so you're just sitting there going like what is going on with this game and so two one through two you take that every single time and then that third goal the kucherov off the face off goal happens and so to me that's the one that's kind of more replicable than any of these others right because if montreal stays out of the box then it's going to be hard for tampa bay to score power play goals 
uh, certainly the fourth goal, which, you know, it's funny how this works, right? When we talk about Conn Smythe, we'll kind of get that get to that here in a second. But, you know, Kucherov gets two goals, and at one point, it didn't look like he had scored either of them from a, you know, scoring, uh, you know, official scorer standpoint, if you will, right? Because at one point, we thought the point had deflected the Kucherov goal in the slot, and then obviously, I still think, and I think the broadcast still thinks, and, you know, I think most people who have eyeballs thinks uh, that, um, you know, that puck could have been deflected off of Pallet. And, of course, you know, it took the Zapruder film to realize that it didn't. And so he gets credit for that goal and because he was the last person to touch it, but it's not like he necessarily sniped it. And so when we look, you know, forward to Con Smythe voting and that sort of thing, which is kind of this hot topic right now. And I was on the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast yesterday with those uh, with Pete Jensen uh, and the guys over there. And, you know, they tweeted out this clip, uh, me talking about Braden Point at plus 400 as probably the best value technically from a Con Smythe standpoint here, uh, which is funny because people just listen to that clip and they, you know, the replies get filled up uh, or, you know, in my mentions get filled up with Carey Price and, you know, you know this, whatever. And I'm like, listen to the whole podcast. I spent most of the podcast talking about Montreal has a chance and that Carey Price, uh, Con Smythe is a better bet than Montreal to win the actual series like we talked about here on this show. But it just goes to show that, you know, these, you know, and I do the same thing. In a lot of the cases, I kind of do it after the fact to to promote the show and what we're doing here. But these minute-long clips that you see from different podcasts, people just kind of listen to those in the same way that people just listen or, excuse me, just read the headline and assume they've read the entire article. And as somebody who writes articles but doesn't write the headlines for those articles, those can sometimes be misleading as well. So it's the same sort of deal, right, where they clip out the minute-and-a-half discussion about Braden Point and, you know, again, we talked for 25 minutes about Montreal having a chance to win this series. But I digress, digress yet again. Um, so, you know, you've got all of these kind of fluky goals and it's just everything's kind of up uh, up in the air, especially that, that third goal. And that's such a killer, right? Like that three to one goal um, that Kucherov scored is one thing, but then you get that sort of fluke goal that kind of just unravels everything after that. And that's why, you know, things get loose towards the end with regards to power plays and all of that sort of thing. And the game ends 5-1. And so it looks like they sort of just got absolutely dump trucked. And, you know, I think that first goal was the most interesting one with Chernak because I thought Montreal was, I don't want to say the better team necessarily, but I think they had more of the pressure, if you will. And there wasn't a ton of high danger chances in that first 10 minutes, that first, you know, even 15 minutes of the game. But Tampa's the team that gets the goal off the rush. And so when I look at the issues, you know, the stuff that I was okay with as far as staying out of the box and not letting the big guys beat you, even though right on the board, Kucherov gets two goals and you go like, Oh, couldn't stop the big guns. And it's like, there was one face off play. And then like the most harmless flick shot from, you know, the sideboards that, you know, could have hit multiple people, but probably just hit the uh, Habs defenseman. I believe it was um, You know, it's not like they were really just sniping left, right and center. So I think, you know, from a narrative standpoint, like there is some value here going forward with Montreal, or at least that's sort of an affectation of people, you know, getting all into, oh yeah, uh, Kucherov, you know, two goals, Stamkos had a goal. It's like, man, those really didn't feel like Kucherov-y type goals, and they really didn't feel um, super legitimate. Um, So, 
I think the issues here for Montreal, there's a couple of them, right? And the first one is fundamentally matching lines on the road. And so for those of you relatively new to hockey, if you're you know, the road team or if you're the home team, you get the, cha- the chance to match whomever the road team puts on the ice during a stoppage, right? So the whistle blows, the road team has to put their players on, and Tampa in this case gets you know 15 seconds, if you will, to match um, what Montreal has done. And so when Montreal's game plan is to have the Philip Deneau line out there against the Braden Point line as much as humanly possible, and Tampa can avoid that over and over and over again, that's going to give the advantage to Tampa Bay, right? But all of that stuff is built into the price. And so when we look at prices for home ice advantage, it's not because the fans are going to do anything, right? Like everybody go, oh, like New York, like the building's rocking and the craziness. It's like, yeah, that might work for 10 minutes at the start of the game or shortly after goals, but you know, by and large things settle in. But the real advantage is in being able to match lines. And it's different from like the NBA, for example. And so we used to back in the, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but in the early 90s, people remember a gentleman by the name of Essa Tikkanen for the Oilers. And as much as the Oilers were this really good team that you know, won, eventually won five Stanley Cups, that fifth Stanley Cup, he was a prominent player on that team because he would literally just follow the best player on the other team around in circles. Whether that was Gretzky with the Kings or whomever, he would just follow that guy around and make that person's life miserable. Well, we've developed intellectually since then where we realize now that, okay, it's not just one guy following another guy around, like that's not going to be good enough. We need a three-man or in some cases five-man unit to go up against a full line here and play just defensively responsible. And that's the Philip Deneau line with Gallagher and Lekkonen. And so, you want them out there against the point line, but you can't because every time Montreal puts that line out, Tampa Bay just puts somebody else out there. And because Tampa Bay is so good, they are so deep, right? They're able to hem the Deneau line in offensively and, you know, not necessarily generate a ton of scoring chances, but just kind of be in neutral, right? And in case yesterday, I believe there was a goal that was actually scored against the Deneau line um, on one of those fluky plays, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, but the point is, is that if you can't get your top checking line up against their best line, that's going to be a problem. And Montreal was able to do a better job of that against Vegas. And obviously Vegas's top line, not to the quality of Tampa Bay's top line, which could be considered arguably one of the best in the league. And so instead what happens is, okay, if the Deneau line is out against literally any other line, that means that Tampa can then put their top line out against whomever they want in a lot of cases with Montreal. And so they do so against the Cole Caulfield, Tyler Toffoli, and Suzuki line, where you have two really young players there and a guy in Toffoli who's not necessarily a checking forward, right? Not necessarily the guy who you want out there for that role. And so when they're able to do that, you know, it's like basketball. Again, when you can match up against, you know, you can hunt the worst defensive player on the other team, right? You can find that matchup. And all of a sudden, Chris Paul is going up against, you know, Marcus Morris. 
and you're like, oh man, this is not going to go well. And then all of a sudden, crossover dribble, jump shot, wide open jump shot, Chris Paul, you know, or he gets around him, gets to the basket, or he gets around him, you know, forces defense defenses to collapse, and he can kick out to an open three, right? A bunch of bad stuff is going to happen when there's a mismatch in basketball. But it's not like that for hockey, right? It's a sort of a far more generic thing where it's not like you're all of, a gonna, all of a sudden going to see, okay, Kucherov's got it. Caulfield is on him like let's see what happens like there just isn't time for that and so it's sort of interesting that the way that they were taking advantage of it was anytime Montreal I shouldn't say anytime but the times that they scored by and large were when Montreal couldn't get the puck in deep on offense and turn the puck over you know just in the neutral zone just outside of Tampa Bay's zone or just as they're crossing the blue line and a rush the other way is what created a lot of those goals, right? The Chernock goal, again, don't know what he was doing up there necessarily to get that deflection, but good for him. Same thing with the sort of broken play off the rush uh, on the slot, you know, shot that again, I think it was Coleman, goes off the leg of um, Gord and gets past Price, right? And so you have those two goals that come off of those neutral zone miscues, if you will. And that's you know, the sort of the small thing that can happen that allows Tampa Bay to take advantage of that mismatch. Now, you're sitting there and you're going like, yeah, but I can't imagine like that's it, right? It's one thing if you're going up against the Caulfield line and you're just hemming them in the zone and you're buzzing around and you're cycling it around and the puck's zipping around and then all of a sudden it's like good chance after good chance, right? That makes a lot more sense to me as far as that mismatch is concerned. I don't know that this whole like turn it over at the blue line, head back the other way, especially the way these goals went in. I don't know that that's necessarily replicable either for Tampa Bay, but it does tell Montreal to get the puck in the zone, right? Get it in deep. And it's like the most cliche, most annoying thing in hockey, but like get the puck in deep. It's literally that's the case when those guys are out there. And so, you know, if nothing else, I think Montreal probably learned their lesson or at least that front line, uh, that Caulfield, Suzuki, and Toffoli line, I think learned their lesson uh, when it comes to just getting the puck in deep, where it is going to be a problem here, and this is the situation for Tampa all the time, and it's why they're so lethal, and it's why it's not quote-unquote fair, is that this team is going to to stop you offensively they're going to you know uh, boa constrict you offensively like they are so good defensively that they don't get credit for and obviously Vasilevsky back there it's going to be really tricky for Montreal to generate offense now again they're going to win games they're going to do it two to one maybe three to two but when you see games last night where just pucks are going in there's just kind of nothing that they can do about that as for the odds and how that sort of changed here it's kind of interesting to see the over five and a half was available at minus 140 in places yesterday that's moved to minus 130 in some spots now there you can get a little bit better price than that but you can see how there's not a massive change just because tampa won in game one and that's what we talked about with regards to the golden Knights series where it was like okay just because the vegas golden knights won that first game shouldn't mean that all of these numbers change that drastically that was the expectation right they should change more drastically if montreal won the first game on the road so carry price now goes to plus 600 as a Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Now, it wasn't great yesterday for Price because obviously he gave up five goals. But listen, through two periods, you're sitting there going like, sweet glove save, sweet you know pad save. You know He's keeping them in this, whereas Montreal's not getting a ton of offensive pressure through two periods. 
And then things obviously even up from a pressure standpoint and the goals start going in a little bit against Price. But I don't know that you can blame him for necessarily any of those goals. And so it's interesting that Montreal's series price is plus 475, but the Conn Smythe trophy price for Price is plus 600. So we had before this series started like an equal price, right? It was like plus 240 for Price, plus 230 for the Habs by and large. Obviously, every book's a little bit different. And now there's all of a sudden this huge discrepancy. But that doesn't really make a ton of sense because, again, even though it's less likely that Montreal wins this series, and that's never really been the premise for our bets here, right? We just think it's going to be a long series and nothing's necessarily changed from that standpoint. But if Montreal wins this series, they come back and they win this series like they did against Vegas. Like, Price is still going to win the Conn Smythe. Just because they lost 5-1, to it doesn't make anybody on Montreal more likely to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. So I think that's a really interesting discrepancy between the two. And you can see that over at Bet365. Mentioned the point thing. And the point of all of that was that, you know, listen, if he gets a couple more goals here, um, maybe even a key goal, there's going to be a point in this series where a game goes to overtime. And, and whether that's, uh, whether our get this series to six games types of bets, um, are going to hinge on that, or or maybe the series itself hinges on that. So there's there's going to be an overtime at some point in this series, and you know whomever gets that overtime goal is if if he's a big name, if he's a contender for the Conn Smythe, is going to jump ahead. And it's interesting that Kucherov gets those two goals because they are his goals in kind of name only, and he jumps up to plus two hundred in this market, whereas. He's a guy who, again, talked about it on that show yesterday and on this one, you know, voters aren't going to be too excited about about voting for Kucherov to win the Conn Smythe. So they'll probably vote for Vasilevsky, but that's priced into the market, and that's why he's the prohibitive favorite in this. But point, again, if they credit him with the deflection, all of a sudden he's got a goal in this game and Kucherov has a goal in the game, you know, which at one point they did credit him. So... You know, but fundamentally here at plus 400, I think it's down to plus 375, right? Like it changed his number because of the likelihood of Tampa winning this series. But I think the over adjustment on Kucherov just because he got those two goals that were, again, goals in name only, I think is an over adjustment there. So I think price is still a decent play here if you wanted to come in live on the Hab series. Just bet price at plus 600. You're getting, obviously, a much better deal than the plus 475, which is the best that I've seen out there for Montreal this morning. Um, Talked about the over five and a half games number. Tied 2-2 after four games goes from plus 150 to plus 210. I think that's an over-adjustment for a thing that we already kind of thought was going to happen. Especially if the matchup issue and the matching lines issue for Montreal is such that maybe just all the home teams win in this series because it becomes that big of a deal. Where if, again, the Deneau line just never plays against the Kucherov point line, then Tampa Bay is always going to have the advantage at home. And then when things turn and Montreal has the last line change, then it's going to be the other way around, right? Montreal is going to have the advantage because those guys are going to have the opportunity. Whether they can or whether they can is obviously a different situation, but they're going to have the opportunity to stop that top line. 
So, you know, we kind of have to take a wait-and-see approach from that standpoint. But there's a very real possibility that Tampa wins the first two games and then Montreal wins the next two games just based entirely on that matchup. Because as we know, the goaltending's pretty darn even at this point. And the special teams is pretty darn even. That's even if the special teams get an opportunity to even play, right? Because we went a really long time yesterday with the standard of that game being one penalty for each side, both of them, frankly, pretty sketchy. So we'll see where that goes going forward in this series but kind of worth mentioning that we're up to plus 210 on the tide 2-2 and of course plus one and a half for Montreal is plus 190 so again that's a price that's going to be better than the money line for Montreal in a game six but we just have to get there first Montreal goes to plus 184 game two again um you know, if it was worth a bet in game one, nothing happened yesterday. That would suggest that it would necessarily not be worth a bet. Obviously, Tampa rightly favored. Um, would expect them to be sort of 1.8 to 1.5 in the expected goals for, right? Like, that's not all that surprising. I would just like to see Montreal generate a little bit more offense. Part of that is going to be able, is going to be involved in them getting pucks in deep, which again is going to help them defensively as well. And it's not this huge adjustment, right? It's just being a little bit stronger on the puck. It's about being more decisive when you you get over the red line about whether you're going to try sort of a rush or whether you're going to try a dump in and you know for Montreal I think dump in has to be the option going forward uh NBA let's get into that big surprise last night the Clips the Clips win relatively comfortably that game obviously got close uh in the third quarter but over the course of the uh, fourth quarter it was pretty much a double digit lead the whole way and that sets up a game six Clippers minus one I'll be honest with you I think I got to be on the Clippers in game six at home to force a game seven. Once we get a game seven, you know, who knows? Again, we have nothing invested in this. And that's where you sort of have to remember sometimes, especially as we get deep into the playoffs here. If we don't have anything invested in a futures uh, market, right, whether it's to make the finals or to win the finals, you know, as much as we've been riding Phoenix, right, we've won a bunch of bets on the Phoenix Suns. We didn't have anything on the game yesterday because that you know, line uh, was a little bit curious at five and a half. And I certainly was looking towards the Clippers at first. Um, but, you know, just because we've won all these bets with, with Phoenix and they've been very good to us doesn't mean we're committed to them in the long term. And just because, you know, Sheldon and I talked about how we would probably like them as underdogs against Milwaukee in the NBA Finals as, as Sheldon and I punched both teams' tickets uh, to the Finals only to watch Phoenix lose. And now their series is very much up for grabs. But, you know, just because we like them going forward, we like them, you know, we've liked them in the past, doesn't mean we need to like them in yesterday's game doesn't mean we need to like them in tomorrow's game um speaking of teams that we do have futures on that we are sort of committed to and thankfully so because it, in this case this certainly looks even better for milwaukee even though that they are up two to one not three to one the way that phoenix was but milwaukee minus seven here is just fundamentally a pass for me as you know we're just kind of hoping that they advance minus seven minus six and a half now on the road it's just way too much for me to want to lay on the road but again i understand the trey young issue and the fact that he's got a bruised foot and you know how is that going to affect him and all of those things that go along with that so it's a pass for me on the point spread but 
here's the thing. We're getting into this point in the season here where I've got a little bit more time on my hands, right? Don't have a preview to write for the Action Network in the NHL every night because there isn't a game every single night. Um, you know, less stuff going on as far as, you know, we don't have to try to figure out what's going on at Euro 2020. We pretty much have our path set and, you know, one game at a time or in this, you know, this schedule this week, sort of two games at a time. And so there's a little bit more time. And why is that dangerous, you might say? Well... Who wants a dumb bet for tonight? Who wants a silly prop bet to watch tonight in a game that, again, we are avoiding from a spread or total standpoint? I see your arm raised. I see it. And here we go. So here's the handicap for what is, um, let's just say, a little loose from a props standpoint. So the interesting thing from a lineup standpoint, minute standpoint in this series, right, is... You know, we saw it, obviously, with, like, the Rudy Gobert situation with the Jazz in, uh, what was that, Game 6, Game 7 of the uh, of that, of that series with the Clippers. And, oh, yeah, all of a sudden the big guy can't play, right? He can't play in this series. Well, it's become pretty clear, and I think it's become clear to the Bucks, though you can never be sure with Coach Bud, is that Brooke Lopez is probably not involved in their best lineup, let's just say. Right, And so he's down to just 24 minutes, just playing half the game. And if you look pretty simply at the box score, and if there's, you know, if the Bucks aren't a big analytics team, they should at least be looking at the box score. In a game that they won by a dozen points, um, Robin Lopez was minus 17 in 24 minutes of play. Literally everybody else, I think, was a plus uh, in that game. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, the first game where he only had, what, like, it was like five points and two rebounds or something along those lines, or a game that they won where he was minus 17, right? Like the rest of the team, when he's not on the court, is plus 29. Like that just has to show you that he shouldn't be playing a ton in the series. Now he's going to start, right? This isn't an injury situation where he's just out and all of the numbers for other people get adjusted right he's still going to start he's still going to play it's just a matter of well how much is he going to play and so what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to pinpoint somebody who's going to take advantage of those minutes that Lopez isn't on the court for and so maybe if you've watched the first couple of games or the first three games I should say of this series you're sitting there and you're going like oh does that mean we're betting Bobby Portis props and my answer to you is no, no, we are not. But because he had, what, 16 points in just 17 minutes in the last game and played, I believe, just 17 minutes there or uh, thereabouts in the game before that, you know, it's easy to sort of go, okay, like, let's just grab some Portis numbers here because he's the guy taking advantage. And yes, he is taking advantage, but he's doing so in limited time. And so if he comes in and maybe it's not going as well for Portis, one, there might be a quick hook and he might get even less than the 17 minutes. But even still, right, 17 minutes isn't a ton of time when you're not the sort of featured guy when you're on the court. Now, I'm not saying this next person, the guy who we are going to be involved with, uh, is the featured guy, but he is, let's just say, more capable offensively. He is a little bit more capable athletically as well, right? Doesn't have the length necessarily that Portis does, but certainly has the athleticism. And that gentleman goes by the name of Pat Connaughton. Yeah, your boy, Patty C. So Patty C is out here, and he was plus 25 
in that game three. And so his minutes this series are a little shaky. Game one, 28 minutes. Game two, 13 minutes in a blowout victory. And game three, 32 minutes. But what's interesting here is his his scoring line has been kind of all over the place. So in that 20 minutes in game one, he was one for six, 0 for four from three. In game two, in just 13 minutes, he got three shots up, three threes, made them all, had nine points, Thanks for coming out. Blowout. Now, all of a sudden, fourth quarter, we've got Bryn Forbes and Jordan Nawara. And I think Sam Merrill was involved at some point. Utah State from a couple of years ago. You may recall him. Game three, 32 minutes. Gets two, uh, two out of three on the three-pointers and has eight rebounds as well. And so a couple of things here. One, Lopez's minutes coming down and having minutes available to other people and having a lineup right? A, a smaller ball lineup, if you will, where Giannis is somewhat the center and you have, you know, a couple more wing players out there than you normally would. But the other thing is Trey Young, right? And his injury. And he's going to play, it, or so it seems, but how compromised is, gonna, is he going to be? And what does that mean? So it means a couple of things. One, you know, obviously the, you know, the clear thing is, well, is his offense going to be as good is he going to be able to lead the offense the way that Atlanta needs him to lead the offense for them to be competitive and my answer to that is I have no idea right maybe maybe he is and if there's anything that he's going to do it's going to be leading that offense and maybe that's more in a you know drive and dish role maybe that's just standing on the outside just firing threes who knows but that's all built into the line for Milwaukee on the road here as six and a half seven point favorites but where he might be compromised or where it might be easier to attack him is defensively. And never really a great defensive player in the first place. But if you're going to hunt him defensively, I think you're going to have a ton of success. Also, if he's unable to go, maybe he plays five minutes, maybe he only plays 20 minutes, maybe he only plays 30 minutes. But what does that mean? That means a lot of Lou Williams out there. And again, that's sort of like a Trey Young, you know, uh, not necessarily on steroids, but on, you know, from a offense defense standpoint, right? Uh, not quite as a good offensive player, but certainly a much better player on offense than he is on defense. So either way, you're going to have major defensive issues here for Atlanta at the point guard position. So how do we take advantage of that? Well, in theory, you could bet, uh, obviously, Drew Holiday. Well, the shooting's not exactly where we think we need it to be for Holiday. Now, he can, you know, have tightened it up and, and, and score a bunch of points somehow. But fundamentally, I think this is Drew Holiday penetrating on that defense because Young or Williams can't stay in front of him and kicking it out to the outside. And maybe that means three-pointers for, you know, P.J. Tucker. Hopefully that doesn't mean anything for three-pointers from Giannis. And Chris Middleton, I would like to think we are staying home on Chris Middleton, right? Like, I think he proved that he's capable of shooting, um, even though, again, that can be frustrating at times. You don't leave Chris Middleton open. So who are you going to leave open if the five-man unit is Giannis, Tucker, um, Connaughton, Middleton, and Holiday? Oh, you're going to leave... Connaughton open so I think he's going to get opportunities to shoot threes I think he's going to get opportunities to sort of pump fake and take it to the basket this is like a high motor guy in a series where you know a lot of guys are looking tired a lot of guys 
um, are dragging it a little bit here. And you've got, you know, Young and Bogdanovich who are both out there relatively injured. I don't know that you would have either of those guys over on Middleton, which means one of those two guys has to guard Connaughton, right? So whether it's defensively on the point guard, driving and kicking, or defensively on Connaughton himself, I think there's going to be some opportunities there. But here's the key. Because he's not a starter, because Lopez starts, Connaughton can come off the bench and probably end up get more, getting more minutes than Lopez the way he did in Game 1 and the way he did in Game 3. But he's not going to get you know, the numbers that we're going to have to accrue here, right? The numbers for his props, the prop uh, market, is going to keep him relatively low. For example, what do you think, based on what I just said, is his over-under for points in this game? Do a quick guess here. Um, I'll wait. Just guess it. You got your guess? Okay. His over-under on points is six and a half. That feels a little low for, you know, kind of the story that I just told you about his potential usage in this game. So over six and a half points, I think is really interesting at minus 115 to the over. If you're over at Bet365, or maybe you have a different, you know, sports book that offers this sort of thing, you can actually augment the props, right? So you can go to over 11 and a half points at plus 450. You can go to over 14 and a half points at nine to one odds. Now, all that is, is he's already hit, and th hit three threes in this series at some point. You know, maybe there's a layup in there off of a steal. Maybe there's a couple of free throws, something along those lines that could get him at least over 11 and a half, maybe over 14 and a half. The other element here, oh, by the way, also over one and a half three pointers is plus 130, right? I think he's going to get at least three opportunities, if not more than that based on, again, minutes and usage. Here's the other thing. We talked about rebounds, right? He had eight rebounds in game three. He had five rebounds in game one. He attacks the offensive glass. He'll be around the defensive glass as well. His rebound total is four and a half at minus 115. He has an augmented rebound total at six and a half at plus 350, which again, he has already accumulated at one point just actually in the last game. And moreover to all of this, the best bet on this whole board here is his point rebound combination, right? And if his points are six and a half and his rebounds is four and a half, his numbers gotta be 11. Well, it's 10 and a half with minus 130 juice uh, on the over, I think, well, I was going to say, I think either categories can he could possibly get to over 10.5. Rebounds might be a stretch, but I certainly think that he, just based on usage, can get over 10.5 points and rebounds. Here's the other thing. Because Atlanta's at home here, I don't expect them to get blown out, blown out, right? I don't think they're getting absolutely trucked here the way that they got smoked in Game 2, right? You just kind of don't get blown out at home, but... Milwaukee could win this game relatively comfortably where they have, you know, a 14 to 15 point lead going into the fourth quarter. And why that's important is there's a very real possibility if that's the case, right? The second unit or sort of the half and half unit, if you will, comes out for the fourth quarter, like a Giannis is still sitting or, or Middleton is still sitting. And maybe they end up running the score up to a 15, 20 point lead with like eight minutes to go. And we never see the starters or we see them for a couple of minutes and then they get taken out of the game. And a lot of their numbers might end up going under because they just don't play the minutes. 
Connaughton isn't a guy who, you know, oh, we got to take him out, right? We got to take him out and rest him. He is a bench player and could get a couple of extra minutes at the end of the game where he is the main offensive option, right? When you start pulling three guys from the bench and you keep like Connaughton out there, maybe Portis is still out there, you know, and maybe, you know, I guess Bryn Forbes would probably be out there as well, right? Like you can finish off a game, maybe stretch that lead, maybe play the last few minutes. And of course, if it gets into a total blowout territory, eventually Connaughton is going to come out. But I think he gets a couple extra minutes in a game that would be 12, 13, 14, 15 type uh, of a score. So there it is. Pat uh, Connaughton, um, you can do sort of a over six and a half points and then kind of graduate, you know, up a little bit here with a sprinkle on 11 and a half, sprinkle on 14 and a half, just to kind of, you know, augment your bet. If, you know, as he keeps scoring, you keep winning more money. Don't go nuts on those because you don't want to, you know, win the over six and a half and then lose 11 and a half and 14 and a half and be like down for the night or down for that bet. That's not what you want to do. Uh, over three, uh, one and a half threes, again, plus 130, I think is worth a little bit there, right? But obviously that's connected to the points as well. And then the rebounds, four and a half, six and a half, same kind of deal, right? Where you'd put obviously more on four and a half than you would on the six and a half to make sure that as long as he makes it over six and a half points and over four and a half rebounds that you are profitable on the night and again if both of those things happen that means the over ten and a half points and rebounds happened as well so again maybe you just skip over the over four and a half and the over six and a half and you just play over ten and a half points and rebounds and then use those alternative markets to augment should he you know only get five points but he gets you know, eight rebounds, kind of like in the last game or in the previous game where he had nine points, but he only had three rebounds, something along those lines, right? You're able to still win that bet and you're able to get a little extra because you went a little extra on those, um, you know, the points or the rebounds. So that's the story as far as the NBA is concerned. Euro 2020, and it took us 40 minutes to get to this, and it really shouldn't have because yesterday was complete and utter insanity. Hopefully, even if you're not necessarily a soccer fan, Lord knows I'm not, and sometimes I watch some of these games and I'm just dying to do literally anything else. In the case of yesterday, couldn't stop watching these games, and rightly so. And so it starts with Spain and Croatia. We had Croatia in uh, to advance. We had Croatia, though, also in the double chance. And so the double chance and the and the the situation of this game, right, ends up uh, helping the double chance. It giveth, if you will. Um, First and foremost, Croatia gets a goal early on one of, if not the most insane own goals um, I've ever seen. Certainly, you know, there was one that was in the, what, I think it was like Olympic qualifying or World Cup qualifying for Canada, went in favor of Canada a couple weeks ago that kind of went viral. Um, I kind of think this one was worse, worse, maybe just because it's Euro, maybe because the shot was coming from even further out. I don't know. It wasn't even a shot. I call it a shot, but it was a pass from the defender who gets saddled, I believe, with the own goal because the goaltender completely whiffs on stopping the ball. But Croatia goes up 1-0, but they were not the better team through the vast majority of this game, and that showed when Spain comes back and they fire in three goals. Now, already, a four-goal soccer game pretty much feels like New Year's Eve at this point. 
Um, gets a little bit crazier. It feels like that New Year's Eve. Once Croatia scores two goals in, what, the final six minutes, basically after the 83rd or 84th minute, to tie the game and win us the double chance bet and keep alive the Croatia to advance bet that we had. Of course, it goes to extra time, and Spain just keeps firing away. Um, I hear, allegedly, this is because Croatia had to make offensive substitutions to try to come back in the game, and that left them vulnerable defensively, and Spain took advantage of that. But, you know, no complaints there, considering at 3-1 to one in the 80th minute, we were looking like we were going to lose everything when it came to Croatia. So we end up a small winner in that game. And as much as it giveth, and as much as we hoped for penalty kicks, uh, you know, for the full-on coin flip treatment there for, for Croatia, it taketh away with Switzerland and France. And I talked yesterday about how um, I had France because, you know, got the price under minus 150, which is kind of just what I want for a favorite there. That looks good at one point. But I talked about our friend Ted Ballantyne, who, not on the show today, uh, he's got... Uh, you know, a, uh, a personal commitment that he has to get to, uh, a, a graduation, a kindergarten graduation, I believe it is. Uh, so he's not joining us today because, you know, listen, that stuff comes uh, before before this show, certainly. Um, but, you know, he, he texts me, he's like, I'm, I'm just doing it. I'm taking Switzerland. I talked about it yesterday. And of course, they get a one nothing lead and they get a penalty. They get a penalty kick opportunity, and it looks for all the world like we're headed for two nothing Switzerland. And I'm, you know, texting Ted, and it's just going to be, uh, you know, what a what a great call on the plus five hundred. And then the penalty gets stopped, and then it's basically this four minute period where the penalty gets stopped, and then France scores two, and then eventually three of. I don't want to say like the prettiest goals. Certainly the Pogba goal was just outrageous. Um, and they take a three to one lead. And we were right back where we were in the first game with the favorite taking a three to one lead. Now this is good for me because I've got France on the money line. And of course the three one lead giveth the three one lead, three one lead blown taketh away as Switzerland give uh, France all they can handle and eventually score. Not once but twice, to tie the game at three, and now we go to extra time. And now both my bet and Ted's bet have lost, and that's the frustration of the three-way betting, is we're left out in the cold on that, being on either side. But I'm cheering at that point for Switzerland, because there's a couple of different elements here. Well, one, two of the goals that were scored for France were by Benzema. He's up to four goals on the tournament. You know that we're sitting here with Cristiano Ronaldo to lead the, le lead the league, lead the tournament in, in scoring with five goals, He's sitting there. He's done for the tournament. We're just like waiting for one guy to pass us. And Benzema scores two goals. He's at four goals at this point. And certainly at three to one. Looks for all the world like they've got another game. Maybe, you know, obviously they're the favorite to win the tournament. Or they were. Um, you know, he's got more go more games even after that. And so I'm just hoping that Switzerland can somehow get this done. And this goes to penalties and everybody scores. And France, you know, they've got it figured out because Mbappe, they've saved him for the fifth and final penalty kick. And it's, you know, it's, you know, it's certainly sudden death at that point. But, you know, technically this is to go into true sudden death. And Mbappe gets stopped. And he goes, you know, it's almost like a rite of passage, right? Where you go in the long line of star players who fail at the most crucial time in the most crucial uh, events. And, you know, again, listen, he's won a World Cup. He was arguably the best player on the team when they won a World Cup back what, 
three years ago. We have to do the math on that now because of uh, the fact that we're, we're talking Euro 2020 and Euro 2021. Um, and, he, and, and he flunks out. And just like that, Switzerland's advanced and the favorites are out of the tournament. And that's fundamentally great news if you have literally anybody other than France to win this tournament. We still have Germany and we still have Italy to win this tournament. And so that's good news there. Which, of course, brings us to today, and we're hoping for the underdogs, including Germany? Noted underdog Germany? Uh, what? Yeah, Germany the underdog to England. Why is this the case? Well, one, England's playing at home. Two, Germany, Germany hasn't looked all that great in this tournament. That being said, you know, we're not piling in here talked about it yesterday not making any bets on the game itself but we do have germany to uh, i believe make the semifinals and win the tournament so we're hoping that survives uh, and then in the second game uh the ukraine again another underdog here to sweden are we positive ukraine is worse than sweden i don't know right again there's this tournament is filled with teams that look good for three games netherlands and then are bad and it's also loaded with teams that don't look very good for three games and survive anyway. And then all of a sudden have inspired second weeks or second parts of this tournament. Maybe that's the case for the Ukraine. Uh, again, we came into this tournament thinking the Ukraine was better than this. Maybe they're not. We came into this tournament thinking Sweden was worse than that. Maybe they're not, but we're going to try that today. And again, uh, I've already got Ukraine to advance into the quarterfinals, so there's no need for me to make any play on the game specifically. As again, part of the reasons to play futures is to get into a position where, one, you don't have to make a game bet um, at a worse price, right? And you, two, you're getting value on that team. And the value here is I've got Ukraine plus 260 here to advance to the quarterfinals when you know I would need them to win this game in 90 minutes to get anywhere close to that price um, here today. Uh, next couple of days are obviously dark from a Euro standpoint. So tomorrow's show will be Kind of not all that much, um, to be completely honest with you. We'll talk about Pakanauten. That'll be something. Uh, but no, we'll have the NBA stuff. Obviously, I'll talk about whether or not we're actually pulling the trigger on the Clippers for Game 6, which goes tomorrow night. And, of course, Montreal and Tampa Bay goes tomorrow night, though you probably know where we're headed when it comes to that game. As always, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. I'm at Authentic on Twitter and the Action Network app. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.